Hey, it's Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doc. Thanks for joining me on my podcast, Tell Me Something Good About Retail, where I interview some of the best entrepreneurs and retailers and people who deal with retail in a new and exciting podcast format each week. So join me live here, or you can also find out more about me at retaildoc.com. That's R-E-T-A-I-L-D-O-C.com. Let's get going. On today's episode, I speak with Paula Rosenblum. She is managing partner and co-founder of Retail Systems Research. She is well known for her pragmatic approach to retail, her candid voice in retail technology, objective insights, and pragmatic advice. She talks about shiny object syndrome, possible cracks in Amazon's model, and how retail continues to evolve. Hi. Thanks for joining me today, Paula. My pleasure. Paula is managing partner and co-founder of Retail Systems Research, and she is well known for her pragmatic approach to retail, and I am thrilled to get the chance to talk to you today. Um, so how did you start out with retail? Oh my gosh, I've been in retail my whole life. My father was an independent retailer. And uh, I used to go buying with him back in New York, and I used to stock his shelves. So I started really, really young. Um, I stumbled into retail IT probably in, um, oh, I don't know, quite a long time ago and, and, and rose to be a CIO. Um, I left CIOdom in 2001 and became an analyst in 2002. Is that a word, CIOdom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Career is over them. <laughs> so um, what what did your dad sell? What kind of I mean, that was was that like a summer job or? Oh, no. My father was in the rag trade, you know, yeah. so he sold garments and then um, he was also an official camp outfitter. And and it used to be a blast to go buying with him because we lived in New York. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the guys who sold the things that they asked you to bring to camp when I was a kid were down on lower Broadway. And so we'd go and we'd go into all these places. It was really kind of fun. Um, and then I graduated high school six months early and didn't really want to go right to college. So I worked in the store, um, probably about three quarters of the time for about six months also. Well, you know, that's interesting um, because your dad was in uh, apparel and let's face it, you're one of the best known um, retail research uh, people around. Um, I don't get a chance to pick your brain very often. So um, in light of that, how do you think things would be different uh, if your dad was still in that business, assuming there was a market for it and he's still, you know, all that kind of stuff? How would it be different with the information we have now? compared to when you were going out on buying trips back then? Well, that's a really interesting question. My father resisted any attempts. I mean, he only retired in 2008, and he resisted any attempt I would make to get him to computerize his store, which was kind of funny. Um, I can tell you that as a general rule, independent retailers work too hard, and they also are prone to over-inventory their store. No, really? Yeah, I know it's shocking. This is, wait a minute. This is, this is news I've never heard, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and no matter how many times I persuaded him that inventory wasn't like wine, it didn't get better. Um, he just kept it and kept it. And it was kind of sad because I, 
I almost knew the exact number he was going to get when he finally retired and auctioned what was left. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. It was, it was, because you know, it's 10 to 15 cents on the dollar. That's pretty much. So, so you've been there. Why, why is that such a common occurrence? Because it's the same thing. I, you know, I do a Facebook uh, live video every Thursday morning and invariably every other week, someone's like, how do I keep a small store from looking cluttered? It's like, uh, well, don't buy so much. Right. But why is that? Is it is it we don't have, you know, the tools that you would if you were a Target or a major, you know, dare I say a JCPenney, but whoever that was looking <laughs> at it and saying, hey, this has to move out and making those tough choices. Is it because it's a tough choice or because we get wed to the merch and that if I if I somehow discounted, it, it means I I made a mistake. What do you think? I think it's three things. First of all, you overbuy because you never want to disappoint the customer. I mean, if you give store managers the ability to control their inventories, they will over inventory as well because they never want to be in the position of saying, I'm sorry, I don't have it. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, yeah, they absolutely fall in love with their product, which is why if we push out to, let's call it, um, you know, a, a, a macro level, that's why markdown optimization got so hot because it finally kind of forced the issue that said, look, do you want to keep this stuff forever? Or do you want to sell it? Mm. As a technology, it was really groundbreaking because it took, it took the, the, the desire to be in love with your product off of, off of the buyer's hands. And you said there was a third one also? Um, that's about it. I think. Okay. I think they fall in love with the product, and 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 they think that it's going to come back in style sometime. Yeah, and and so, um, do you think that that's changed the way we look at the buyer too? Because you might have hired a kind of a quirky or goofy or funny or fill in the blank buyer who really knew her her stuff. Um, do they have the chance to really let that personality? go and is that what's leading us to bland and boring retail actually you asked that's a bigger question than that i think what's leading us to bland and boring retail uh and this is not a pitch for tariffs at all this is just a statement of fact is that all of the offshoring we do all of the sourcing so far from the point of demand drives us to make bigger bets as mm. retailers and when you make a big bet unless you really are very very nervy um, you'll place a safe bet. And when you start adding up all these safe bets, what you end up with is very boring assortments. You know, that's brilliant. And, and not only is that in the uh, traditional department store market, but, you know, what was it, H&M had $4 billion of unsold fast fashion? I know, and they were <laughs> the ones who were supposed to be the best. And ironically, you know, there was a time I worked for a material handling company, uh, SDI Industries, in my career, which was kind of fun. Um, and and, and um, what I learned when I hung around the department stores is that back then it used to be one and done. They didn't do a whole lot of replenishment. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of changed and the bets have got just gotten bigger and bigger instead of smaller and smaller. Yeah, who do you think is a retailer that's doing it right now? I mean, besides Sears and JCPenney. Yeah, they, they're, they're the best. <laughs> <laughs> they have shop now, shop now, or whatever, shop my way or whatever it was, right? And ship my shop, pants. Yeah, have it, yeah, shop my way or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, that that's a very sad. Actually, the, the Sears story is sort of tragic. When push comes to shove, an American institution that was the first Amazon with the old technology Absolutely. Paper, um, has been driven into the ground by greed. And that's really sad. Yeah. Um, who do I think is doing it well? Everybody loves REI. I do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Nordstrom. I, you know, and they have their twice yearly sale. They've started falling a little bit into the markdown trap. But, yep. you know, we have that additional challenge now, which is that we've trained the consumer as retailers uh, uh, to wait for the sale. And so we've got this promotion crazed environment and, and um, that makes for an additional mess. You know? Well, yeah, just look at Macy's and some of the other ones that seem to have a tough time uh, getting through that. And I think that's extending into um, smaller retailers and regional chains as well, because, you know, the way I say it, Paul, is that I think we are pretty much paying people to have a horrible experience and come shop at our store and take this crap out of here. Instead of <laughs> let me entertain you and we'll have a good time and exactly. let me show you that, you know, you lost 50 pounds. So let's look like a million bucks instead of find something to cover your some, your smaller butt or to, uh, you know, get away with whatever was last year's uh, sale. You know, that brings up another topic. Off price seems to be growing. I read that um, dollar stores uh, sales were up 10 percent and TJ Maxx and uh, Kohl's. Um, are we really becoming just two markets, full price and leftovers, or is there some room in the middle, do you think? Oh, I do think there's room in the middle. And, and off price has been hot since since really it came into being. It's very rare. I mean, back when Marshalls was still separated from TJ Maxx, they, they, I knew guys who worked there. My, my old boss actually had left Marshalls. And they were bonusing out so high based against basic based on plan that they had to change the bonus structures because they were making so much money. So I think off price, which is essentially a treasure hunt in some ways, remains hot forever. Ross store seems to be doing pretty well. I mean, that that seems to be a perennial dollar stores are a different phenomenon. Dollar stores are much more, I think, about Walmart. By the way, the only exception, I believe, was Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree didn't have a great quarter. Okay. Everybody else did. Um, and I think that what they're doing is they've been nibbling at the edges of Walmart's market basket for several years now because they'll offer a, a brand at a, at, a, at a promotional price, and it's pretty easy in and out. And, and they've been doing quite well here. Well, they've sh- changed shopper behavior, right? That's yep. kind of the, the challenge. What What do you think for, for you, for as a market analyst, what do you think has been your biggest challenge in the last three years? And how did you overcome it? I mean, I would think it'd be data overload myself, but you live on data, so. <laughs> yeah, I live on, I, that data overload doesn't bother me. What does bother me is what we call bright, shiny object syndrome or disorder, BSOD. Um, because, because retailers, sometimes vendors get out a little too far ahead of, the retailers and they start talking about technology that's looking for a solution and 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 they show it at nrf and the retailers just shake their heads and go well especially if you're senior management this has nothing to do with what i do (laughs) you know this isn't something that i want and so i'm actually working at the moment on our i think it's fourth or fifth annual um benchmark on the internet of things and what we are continuing to learn is that retailers love it but they're not quite sure why and they believe believe it's going to transform their business just as they believe ai is going to transform their business and they're not quite sure why 
<laughs> and that's 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 my biggest challenge because my company RSR, our shtick, our reason for being is to be the pragmatic voice of sanity in the retail industry. Yes, and you we, are. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And so so we don't look at technology in a vacuum. We always look at it in the context of the business issues and opportunities retailers face. And we appreciate that Amazon has created a whole disruption in the industry more because of noise than be and because of this insanely broad assortment than anything else. Um, None of us could live on the profits that Amazon doesn't make in its retail operations. Yeah, but thank God they've got AWS, so they can, right? Now they're going to ramp up marketing to be able to take on Facebook and Google and uh, another profit source. It's fascinating. You know, there's just nobody like them in the world. Well, but they are actually, I think, under some profit pressure. And, and, and while everyone is fond of saying that Amazon's, uh, the reason Amazon lost money was because it spent so much on, on R&D, my opinion has been forever that the reason they weren't making money in retail was because their assortment is so broad that figuring out how to package and box it and getting the right side boxes was almost impossible for them. Mm. And so I, I don't know about you. You've been around a while, so I'm sure you've seen this. I've never seen anybody ship as much air as those guys do ever. That's in true. Career. And so what they've done now, it's really kind of interesting because I think they are under under some profit pressure now. Uh, what they've done is they've created this concept called third party prime. And 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 that means that the, the product is being fulfilled by somebody else. Now, what that does for Amazon is it takes all the shipping costs off of their shoulders. It becomes pure profit, just like the marketplace is pure profit. <laughs> and sadly, I don't believe, and I've challenged them, not challenged them, I've actually asked rather nicely, show me where my data is wrong, But because it's all anecdotal, but there's more and more grumblings about, about third-party yes. shipments being late. And yes. In fact, I just got an email today about um, a product that supposedly, first they told me it was going to be late, then they told me it was delivered and there's nothing here and nobody steals from my porch. So, you know, they, they, they're starting to, I think, come down to earth in the reality that they're going to have to make money. And that's not. And whenever you have to make money, you end up cutting a corner somewhere. Along sure. The way. Well, I want to come back to Amazon in a second. I had to give you my favorite uh, Internet of Things um, shiny object, which was the guy <laughs> who came up with the uh, tea kettle that you could start with your smartphone. Come on. And I was like, uh, how does the water get into it? Well, you put the water <laughs> in it, and then you walk away. It's like, uh, okay. Um, so uh, Amazon, you know, you and I were um, commenting, I believe, on an article on LinkedIn and about this dangerous world of price optimization um, algorithms between uh, Walmart and Amazon and how they fluctuate so much. And in fact, you even talked about, I think, your salt filters, how when you looked at pricing transparency, uh, it was crazy how much it was all up and down, but you only saw this is bad all the way around. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it was actually pool filters. And and oh. pool filters are an interesting subject because they're a replenishable item. I need them all the time, especially in Miami where I live. I use them year round um, and they're not cheap, right? It, so it's not like it's a can of peas and if it's 20 cents or 25 cents i don't much care because i'm a relatively affluent person but it's it's pool filters and and they ranged they used to be 65 dollars in the store 
Um, Amazon got them down to $55 somewhere along the way. At some point, I saw one for $45, so I put one on a, an alert through a, a price comparison, a, an Amazon price monitoring site telling me, let me know when it hits $45 because I'm willing to pantry pack them, you know. Um, and and I got, I, I forgot about them, actually, because I hadn't gotten an alert in so long. I thought maybe they didn't exist anymore. And all of a sudden I got a, an alert and the price was down to $40. And when I, and they showed me this trend of what had happened with the price over the last couple of years. And the price ranged from $62 to $40. And that's real money. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're relatively affluent, you, you don't want to be a jerk, you know, and you don't want to feel like a jerk. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I bought, I, I pantry packed one, quite honestly, I bought it brought it home. But I looked at that chart and I thought, you don't really want consumers to see this. This is not such a good thing. This is going to hurt you really badly because one of the most important aspects of a relationship between a retailer and a shopper is trust. And companies like Amazon and, and, and Whole Foods, which is now part of Amazon, right. their, their stock and trade is trust. I mean, if you didn't trust Amazon, you'd never just push the dash button, which is another topic for another day. Anyway. Or allow them to deliver groceries to your trunk. But that's another topic, too. Exactly. And, and you certainly wouldn't say, Alexa, order me or whatever, you know, without mm. even looking at what the price was. Um, and, and so the fact that they're jittery, the prices are so jittery, which is the word I used for them. Um, it, it's not good. It, it, it erodes consumer trust. And, and that's their, along with this mammoth assortment, um, that's, that's their biggest stock and trade. And when you start checking around, and I use the example of the pool sell, you find out that there are companies who are selling for almost half the price of Amazon on a given day. But that also means that it is a giant race to the bottom, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that what we've been saying for, I don't know, 20 years? It is, but you know, you wish it wasn't. You wish that I would love to see, and I, I wrote about it in that same piece. I would love to see a return to everyday low prices with promotions. That's fine. And if I choose to wait for the promotion, I'll wait. And if I choose to to get it um, at at that moment because I need it or whatever, that's a choice I get to make. But this, where we're where we've got this, let's don't forget we started talking about a sea of sameness, yep. which means there's very few must-have products with the exception for some reason of the $999 iPhone X, um, you know, <laughs> so, so there's, there's very few unique products that, that are, I must have it. I don't care how much it costs. Um, and coupled with, you know, um, and, and, and there's price wars going on pretty much endlessly. Yes. And, I would and agree. that's, that's bad. That's not good for our industry. And, no. and it makes me sad because I've been in it so long. Yeah. Um, you've been generous with your time. A few more questions. Um, how has the way you thought about retail changed, you think, in the past, let's say, five years? Well, I used to love, I used to talk about retail time in very glowing terms because retail is a dynamic industry. And retail time always seemed to be really fast compared to everything else. What's happened over the past five years is that, or 10 years really, is that compared to consumer time, retail time has become much too slow. Yeah. And what's got to happen is we have got to, as an industry, get faster, we've got to get smarter, and we've got to get more interesting for consumers, for sure. 
I would agree with you. I think the exciting things are the things that we're seeing. I think we're actually moving back to a time almost like of the Pilgrims, Paula, where, um, you know, someone comes up with a little craft brewery for the local business and someone else has their little haberdashery and someone's got their little restaurant. But we're past the 80s when we're all going to um, read the E-Myth and um, build all these processes so we can be the next Starbucks and we too can be a giant world brand. I don't see that. I, it seems like we're being more conservative, which not conservative, but more realistic. But also, I think that gives us a chance to really, again, curate the assortment and the world I play in and also come up with a much better customer experience for shoppers rather than come in and get this sale because we treat you so badly. Does that no, make sense? Absolutely. I mean, that's the key problem with department stores right now is that is is that they're really hard to shop because who, nobody wants to shop by department. They want to shop based on their lifestyle. Yeah. And whether it's within a big box or not, I mean, if you're going to shop by vendor as a proxy for your lifestyle, then you might as well just go to their stores because everybody's got their own stores now. So that's the, the biggest challenge is creating a curated multi-brand assortment that consumers will really get juiced on. I believe that. I would agree with that. Uh, Urban Outfitters seems to do a decent job with a lifestyle presentation. Would you agree? Yes, I would. I would yeah. indeed. I yeah. would indeed. What would you say to a friend that was looking to go into retail? They said, oh, I'm giving it all up, Paula. I'm going to open this retail store I've been dying to do all my life. What would you tell them? Uh, I would tell them expect to work hard, expect to not have weekends, but expect to have a heck of a good time. Nice. I love that. Well, we're towards the end. Um, tell me, tell me something good about retail. I mean, we work in doom and gloom, unfortunately, only because we see a lot of factors. And let's face it, it it's like any business. Uh, the squeaky wheel is what people hear about, right? Another day of horrible earnings from so-and-so and this, this. But, you know, tell me something good about retail. Well, I think right at the moment, I think consumer confidence is high, albeit fragile. Um, I think that retail is is one of the most exciting industries you can be in um, because it's always changing. It's consumer driven, which means it's very, very important to the economy. I think it's a great, it's a great career. Honestly, I think learning to be a buyer, learning to learning to be an analyst, uh, I don't mean a tech analyst, but you know, a, a, a merchandise analyst. It's a yeah. great gig. I really do. I agree with you. And how can they find out more about, rsr and uh your services well we have a website it's uh rsr research an extra r just because we want to confuse everyone um <laughs> and and they're more than welcome to come we just published today our most recent benchmark on the state of the store which is really kind of interesting it's a hot topic at the moment and can I you tease us with one one thing from that report? Can you tease us with one thing? Well, the, I mean, this isn't so new news, but the employee has become more and more important. Otherwise, why would you go to a store, right? And that and retailers recognize it and they get it and it's really clear. Yeah. So you can expect that retailers are going to be spending more money on their employees over the coming years. And I think that that's a good thing, especially if they find ways to empower them with technology and also train them. And that's where I come in to help train them. So I appreciate that last way that we <laughs> connected the dots, Paula. And with your data and my uh, training, I think that, again, retail is a great place. I honestly believe we can change the world by the people working and shopping in retail. And, and I appreciate you joining me and sharing your story from starting off in your 
dad's uh, store there in New York and all the way up to one of the great analysts in retail right now, letting us know what's going on. So I appreciate you joining me today, Paula. Lovely chatting with you. You have a great day, okay? Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm your host, Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. Please share the love and tell your friends to subscribe as I engage retailers to share their tips for growing your retail business. Find out more about me at retaildoc.com. That's R-E-T-A-I-L-D-O-C.com. While you're there, you can find a transcript of this podcast. You can send an email to me at bob at retaildoc.com to tell me what you thought of this episode. And or you can leave a comment and share your experience right here as it relates to what we were talking about today. Again, I hope you'll tune in for another episode and good selling.